in the last couple minutes here, we'll just try to go through the, the talks. We're going to have slides, but I think I'll just wing it and do a summary here. So in the morning, we first heard Dr. Quo talk about end-stage liver disease. I think the important messages there were to understand and recognize the signs of end-stage liver disease cirrhosis, and particularly decompensated cirrhosis. Um, talked a little bit about the management of hepatic encephalopathy. I think the other key point from Dr. Quo's talk was about knowing when to refer patients, obviously, for evaluation of liver transplantation, um, particularly um, getting your hepatology colleagues involved earlier than later if you're unsure, I think is also something um, that's important. Um, you don't want to send somebody after it's really too late for them to kind of get a transplant evaluation. Um, after that, I talked about the treatment-naive patients. I, I think one of the key things there, especially, again, kind of tying into Dr. Osborne's talk where all the new medications we think are coming along, for mono-infected patients in particular, if they're treatment-naive, getting an assessment, some assessment of their liver fibrosis stage, whatever you have available. And it, it really is my belief that if they're early stage, F0, F1, I, I don't think there's many patients where it's really appropriate probably just to subject them to interferon and its toxicities right now. There may be some exceptions if they have other end organ disease. We had somebody mention glomerular nephritis. So if there are other compelling reasons why you feel like you need to treat their HCV more urgently, um, you could do so. But um, despite how good the protease inhibitors look when they add on, I think the data that's coming along is just going to show that we're getting even better at treating this and can, can get rid of interferon relatively soon for HCV mono-infected treatment, naive patients in particular. Um, then Melissa talked about the new agents coming along, and there's going to be a lot more comes out in a week or at the end of the week at the ASLD meeting. So stay tuned to natap.org for Jules' updates, which will come at all hours of the day and night. Um, but as she showed during that table, really the excitement is around interferon-free therapies. And some of the most recent data with either triple combinations of a boosted protease plus a non-nuke plus an NS5A with ribavirin, curing near 95 to 100% of treatment-naive patients. And what's most exciting there, and we really look forward to the data, is prior null responders where they had 91%, at least in their press report, uh, press release with that combination. And that's a population that's been notoriously hard to treat with interferon-free regimens up till this, this data that was presented. So the message from her talk clearly is there's lots of options and it's moving very fast, the whole field. Um, then Marion came up and talked about prior treatment failures. And to me, the, the standout is the one slide that shows you prior treatment failures, particularly null responders, and particularly with advanced fibrosis. You have to remember, their responses, even with the telapivir, bocephivir-based therapies, are probably very low. Um, it's a population where you may be stuck doing that, but I think it's something important to talk to patients about and make sure they understand that um, while the overall results look great for adding on these um, drugs, if they're a prior null responder and have advanced liver disease, I think you just have to set expectations with those patients. Um, the other thing that we talked about with patients with advanced liver disease is doing a careful assessment to make sure there's no evidence of early decompensation um, before you just launch into therapy with pegylated interferon and ribavirin and, and knowing when to, to have some help with those more complicated or advanced patients. Those are not the ones to kind of start off with if, if you're just jumping into HCV treatment. Jennifer Kaiser talked about drug-drug interactions after that, and I think we've continued to talk about drug-drug interactions um, perhaps ad nauseum the rest of the day, but I think that's just a testament to how important they are and how difficult they are. Um, the key ones, obviously, and this will overlap with the HIV treatment, is are the protease inhibitor interactions with HIV protease inhibitors and non-nucleosides. So it's a complex field with drug-drug interactions. I think, um, especially if you're not doing a lot of treatment, I don't think there's any way you can remember all these in your head. So um, to have somewhere to go to, to look these up, the Liverpool website, um, or to have the help of a pharmacist who's involved in HCV care is, is critical. And 
if you don't know, at least to be cognizant of that, if you're adding in drugs and changing things, you have to be looking out for drug-drug interactions and changes in, in your patient's uh, clinical characteristics that might be indicative of a severe drug or an adverse drug reaction. Um, Marion talked about AE management then. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about that since, since about management of anemia, where dose reduction of ribavirin is probably the preferred method first with proteus inhibitors, and there's plenty of data now to suggest that um, in post hoc analyses that ribavirin dose reduction doesn't seem to harm responses when you have protease inhibitors in the mix. And this is, you know, kind of in contrast to those of us who were treating HCV with PEG and ribavirin before, where we try to avoid dose reductions of ribavirin and PEG in those first 12 weeks kind of at all cost. Um, now it seems like dose reduction of ribavirin for anemia is a reasonable first approach. And then using epigen or GCSF if you, if you still have trouble and you can't um, manage with dose reductions alone with uh, particularly ribavirin. Um, and then we just finished the co-infection cases. Again, drug-drug interactions, I think, really dominate the scene with co-infection. Um, and the fact that, as I'm sure hopefully you all realize now, there's really pretty limited data available. It's two phase 2B studies where we have preliminary SVR data and, you know, a total of maybe 120 patients treated in clinical trials that we have data reported for with protease inhibitors. So it's um, still a, a very kind of early in, in the progression of things with co-infected patients where we need a lot more data. Um, and I think that's it. So we thank everybody for attending, and thank you.